This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Suburbicon. Wait, did you buy a house there? Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! That's what I say, as always, and sometimes you're, like, not here. I should really figure out a new way to, like, we're 300 I, no, episodes I like in. The, I like when you do that. Just like, you like and you, always, you like Abe how I say, is not here. I say a very, like, extreme statement and then follow that up sometimes with, well, he's not here this week. <laughs> yeah. Yet. Well... We'll figure that out. We'll figure that out in post. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back to other fun movie topics. This is episode 304. 304. Missed that palindrome. Yeah, you missed it last week. I know. You were late. I know. You were, you were coming in from space. I was. Yeah, my rocket ship was coming in from Geostorm, so, you know. Geostorm being the 16th moon of Saturn. That's what we've named it now. That's the... That's a far trip. That it'd take me longer than a That's day. That's why you were late, <laughs> Abe. I guess. <laughs> I feel like it'd take me like uh, seven years <laughs> to get back. Well, this uh, this episode's not about Geostorm. That was last week's extra long episode for some reason that we needed to make it. Yeah. Uh, this week we're talking Suburbicon, uh, the latest film director uh, George Clooney. And uh, joining us today to discuss Suburbicon, we have from We Live Entertainment. He wrote in on his Schwinn to be here. It's Scott Menzel. <laughs> Hello, everyone. How are you? How are you doing, Scott? Pretty great. Pretty great. I just went back to see Suburbicon for the second time because I know I have to defend it today. Well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll find out. I, I don't know. Abe, Abe and I don't know what we thought of the movie, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. By the way, are you writing an adult Schwinn or a child Schwinn? Uh, child, of course. Okay. All right. To really fit in, okay. It's, yeah. it's got a tall guy, so it really stands out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's get to some show notes real quick. First up, uh, what's, let's see here. Our horror specials. Uh, by the time you listen to this, all five of our horror specials should be up on iTunes and Audioboom. We've had a lot of fun doing those this past month. Um, we talked about horror adaptations. We talked horror remakes, which is the newest one. We talked children's horror films. We talked. We had a Child's Play commentary, and we had a tribute to Toby Hooper and George e. Romero. Um, those are all really fun to do. They're all up available now. It's a great job with uh, Brandon and I and Abe and Jimmy Owen a couple of episodes. Maxwell had another couple of episodes. Jim, the great Jim Dietz on one episode. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun getting all these guests together. Uh, Colin was on one as well. And Scott Nelson, mm. actually. We got a lot of people on these episodes. A lot yeah. of people. And uh, those are fun to do, as always, and that means that we now have four sets so we have 20 episodes of horror bonus content over the from the years of this show which means there's about <laughs> about like we're, we're getting to almost one each day yeah in october uh, yeah exactly but that's about like 50 hours of horror talk on this podcast that you can look into look, look into let yeah. alone like the various Except commentaries for horror Christmas movies episodes yeah but uh yeah those that, that are a lot of fun to do um speaking of horror actually i know the film jigsaw might come up in some form today but i do also sure. know that we're going to record a bonus episode about jigsaw uh this week which will also come up sometime shortly i know professor mike dylan is really wanting to talk about jigsaw so that's going to happen as well um so that'll be a, really it'll be jigsaw. a bonus bonus horror episode that that may launch like right after october ends let's see what else speaking of bonuses once again um last year abe do you remember anna you and i had a fun stranger things nights episode good nights yeah well as soon actually well i guess i'll figure that out soon enough but once you finish stranger things we will figure all this out and we will do another 
night's bonus episode talking stranger things the three of us Hint, i haven't okay well <laughs> when you do <laughs> we, we, will, we will record yet another bonus. i actually episode. have not yet either okay. surprisingly oh so so all the spoiler talk i was going to bring into this podcast is not is going to be invalid yeah you, you should probably hold on to that i i will i mean i was going to talk about how steve you know he kills dustin and throws him off a ledge but i can hold back on that one uh, it's really violent. I see, see, this is how long I have, I've seen it. I was like, who are these people? Steve has the hair. <laughs> come on. And Dustin has no teeth. It, I, I chose ah, okay, I chose the gotcha. two obvious characters as much as the physical presence. <laughs> now my, yeah, I was like, maybe maybe she's a Demogorgon. Demogorgon yeah, remember that when they named the Demogorgon Steve? <laughs> <laughs> is Barb making an appearance? <laughs> I can't anyway, talk we'll about things. I can't talk about this. Um... What else? Let's see. Mark Hoban had a birthday uh, this week. Happy birthday, Mark. Mark. Yesterday, two days ago. Um, friend of the show, of course. Um, so throwing out out there. Uh, what else? iTunes Reason Ratings. Good to get those. Helps out the show. Helps other people find the show. If you want to listen to um, our podcast like and see that it's on like the charts, see it's high up in the entertainment feed on iTunes or movies and TV. I think that's the that's the, <laughs> that's the area. Um, Feel free to give us a, a review. That'd be great. If you want to search for Out Now Fair and Abe, give us a star rating and or write a review. That'd be awesome. Hey, if Casey Kasem was alive, where do you think would be on the charts? I, <laughs> I think Out Now Fair and Abe would be pretty high on the charts, but you never know. I mean, there's a lot of great podcasts out there, a lot of fun movers and shakers, a lot of people like talking movies, a lot of people talk about TV. And now, a letter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's... <laughs> Let's move on from that. <laughs> Let's get to know everybody. Reach week we ask each other a question or two, try to set this home with the podcast and better get to know, know everybody. everybody. That was good. That was good. That was a good refresher. Pretty good. Yeah. I'll start this one off. Okay. I wanna I wanna hit you guys with a really hard hitting question. Hit me with your best shot. Here it is. Give it a fire away. Do you guys like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Of course. Who doesn't? Yeah. It's not American if you don't like peanut butter and jelly. What kind of monster are you? Yeah. I would say I I've, mean, I've come more around to peanut butter and jelly sandwiches as of late. Did you was there something that prevented you from liking them as a child? I used to I I told I told this to Anna cuz I think I've had the most peanut butter and jelly sandwiches around here where I I feel like yeah, she made me what? I feel like I got over peanut butter at a young age probably because i was just eating a lot of peanut butter and i kind of got sick of it so for the longest time i just stopped liking having peanut butter involved in anything mm. but more recently okay. i've come around like peanut butter is pretty good guys like, i don't know if you heard about the little thing called peanut butter but like yeah no i've started to come around to peanut butter again so interesting chunky or smooth or creamy creamy I could, I could go either way i'm i'm a big fan of creamy i would yeah i would say given the option presented in front of me i would probably choose the creamy canister but <laughs> it doesn't quite bother me you get that crunch in there that's good that makes sense it's like putting lettuce on a burger you get that crunch <laughs> and also a soggy burger yeah, it was like i never i never really associated a crunch to the no. lettuce but if I, have, um, if I have a big perhaps, piece of lettuce then maybe but why would i, I would dry off that lettuce probably dried out dried off i should say not dried out then they yeah, just be like dry out lettuce. lettuce yeah then, then it's yeah. like what's going on here why'd my sandwich like, die well it's more like yeah exactly like why do you even uh why even have a sandwich this is why I've we play this is why we, hold on this is why we play no everybody because of these details people are going to talk exactly. about the, the, the dry lettuce versus like wet lettuce and for days to come after hearing this episode probably probably more like months i'd say <laughs> it's it's that good yeah. all right you know. what's your question all right. i've got a question for you guys yeah when was the last time you were surprised that matt damon was in a role 
what? Surprise that Ben was the yeah. Because I was watching what was it? Uh, Suburban God. Watching Meg Ryan. This is like a long Courage time under ago. Fire? Courage under fire. And I was like, that's Matt Damon. That's not Matt Damon. That's so, Matt so Damon. Like, so, like, you're asking when, like, if we were watching an older movie, when were we surprised that, like, Matt Damon showed up in it? Yeah, I guess that would be the question, but I feel like the answer is you're not surprised. Well, I think the one, the one time I was surprised was when he had a cameo in um, Eurotrip when he pops up in that movie. I've like, never seen that movie. Like, a shaved head, and he, like, plays, like, a punk rocker. It's like, singing a song. How about when he was cast in The Grey Wall? That's the one I'm still holding on to. <laughs> Very recent. Or I guess... I get well because I remember it was announced for Interstellar, but like I forgot. Like I think everybody kind of forgot it because then there's you know the ads for Interstellar were so kind of did they did they actually show him in promos? No, they didn't show him in promos, but like I remember it was a casting announcement like that was like in the you know like in the trades like a year before it came out or whatever. Like Matt Damon's casting Christopher Nolan's new movie, but like there seemed to be like a collective thought of like we don't need to acknowledge this right now. So then when he pops out in Interstellar, you're like oh Matt Damon's here, okay, and he's uh he's less than gracious. Yeah, no, he's a dick in the movie. But still, <laughs> like... <laughs> All right. Yeah, so there you go. That's my answer. <laughs> Good answer. Solid. All right. Well, with that out of the way, that's how you play. No, no everybody. everybody. All right. Let's move on. Let's get to Out Now Quickies. Yeah. Each week on Out Now, you'll move the window. Talk about the movies. Yeah. I was good with that. There was a nice echo on that last one. Yeah. We're developing that double echo here. Okay. <laughs> it was good um abe have you seen any other movies recently i have not seen any other movies recently have you seen have you watched anything at all <laughs> i haven't watched anything i i really have just been working a lot <laughs> all right and traveling well, at least you working... made you made time for this good movie traveling for work yeah exactly i made, I made perfect time for you know this terrific movie well, Scott, how about you? What have you? What else have you seen recently? I went to see Jigsaw last night. Yeah, what did ah. you think? Or what are you? Are you a, are you a Saw fan okay. in general? Okay, yeah, yeah. I've I've been entertained by every one of the movies. Obviously, I get the fact that people are burnt out on them, and I understand why they stopped them because it was kind of like a run-on joke every year, where <laughs> it was like every year there's another Saw movie, and they just kind of like got more and more convoluted. Um, it was that mixed so with, I, like, and Paranormal Activity was starting to come out, too, and that started making more money. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, they were just going up against one another, and I felt like, I mean, they beat Paranormal Activity to death. I mean, that was something that I think they went so far with Paranormal Activity that that just lost all the magic, like, right away. Because that was... Originally, you remember, that came out at, I, fe- I think, a festival. And, like, again, it was like the Blair Witch Project, where everyone thought it was real. And then they started milking the sequels. And the first, like, what, the two or three did well. And then by the time the fourth one came along, everyone was like, I'm done with this crap. I don't want to watch it anymore. <laughs> I, I will Simple. say, I, I'm in the camp of, the, I like the Paranormal Activity movies, and I don't really like the Saw movies. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I was good with the Paranormal Activity movies up until three. Well, three's the three's easily the best three's, one. Three's the best that's, one. That's that's easily the best one. No no question. <laughs> Scott, Scott yeah, like he has a different opinion. Oh, yeah, no, no, okay. No, I no, I agree. I, right. I think I think those three, the first three of those movies all work really well. Yeah. Did anyone see the original cut of Paranormal Activity? 
I know what it is, and I know that Spielberg is the reason that it changed, <laughs> which is like fun trivia. No, so I, I was wondering how that worked because I also know that they changed something. What was the other one they changed? Um, um, well, yeah, that's true. Well, I was yeah. actually recently not <laughs> not because of Spielberg, but I was also thinking about the mountain between us. They changed the ending of that as well. They did. Yes. Yeah, they went back and reshoot reshot it. We don't, I don't even know talk about Mountain Between Us spoilers, but I'm very curious what the other option was in I, that movie. Yeah. Hey, I, I have no idea. Um, I never, I didn't care enough to look into it. That said, judge going, looking at the ending, it does, there's something about how it's shot that does feel kind of different, so that's not actually surprising. <laughs> that movie was not good. <laughs> well, I we like the actors in it. What'd you think of yeah. Jigsaw? Oh, I, I feel like we've gone way off topic. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, we wanted it's a paranormal activity that we went into alternate endings and then we got there. <laughs> so that's how we got there. I'll just explain that. Um, so I thought it was a good return to form. I mean, it's it's not as strong as the first three Saw movies, but uh, I think it's better than four to seven. Um, and I, I the weird thing about this movie was I thought that the acting was actually better than most of the movies. So I actually bought into the characters and their interactions a little bit more. Normally, if horror movies with this low of a budget, I feel like the performances are so weak. Um, but this one I didn't feel that way about. And um, I love that some of the Saw movies are more about the, I mean, they're all supposed to be about lessons. But this one I felt like kind of got dark. I mean, that one story with the baby without giving anything away. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was pretty fucking dark. <laughs> this feels bad. <laughs> well, I mean, like I, I'm not a big fan of when babies are introduced into a movie. Come on. There's a. I mean, to be fair, it, it's not involved in a trap. Let's put it that way. I mean, it's not no, that. It's no, not no. that dark. Uh, but I will say that because I remember the reports that because it's directed by the Spirit Brothers who did um, Predestination, which I'm a huge fan of. Oh yeah, is, that's great. Which is why I was interested in Jigsaw to begin with. I'm like, well, they got these guys involved, so sure. Um, but I remember they were saying, it's like, this is a lighter, more fun Saw movie. Like, it's it's we got cool traps and it's gory, but it's also going to be fun. And by watching this, like, it's not that much more fun than any of the other Saw movies. Like, it's, <laughs> it's still pretty down there as far as kind of, you know, griminess. I would agree with you as far as, like, like you know the Saw movies where they, 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 they're they divided in two halves. Where, you like, one part's the police procedural where they're investigating what's going on. And the other half's, like, the main trap stuff with people, like, certain people caught in the trap I would say yeah. the stuff with I'm not going to go too far because I know we're going to do a bonus episode, but the 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 stuff with the trap I think is better acted. I think the the cop stuff is well. <laughs> oh, the the which which the main like, cop yeah. guy. Yeah, the, like well, like just that that half of the film in general. I think that stuff is like yeah, those are people just kind of in a room talking. Uh, but the stuff with the trap people, a little shouty, but they I do. <laughs> The, the acting a little there, shouty is, well it's a lot of like i can't believe we gotta do that but i mean it's it's star as far as the interaction and what they're doing i I've, it's hard to say if you're a giant saw fan this will definitely satisfy because i do think there are some problems with that aspect of it but i do think it generally would satisfy someone that's going to see a saw movie on the big screen oh again. i think i think okay. a good way of putting this is that if you're a fan of the the other films this one will do just fine. I don't think it's going to create any new fans. I don't think it's yeah. going to, you know, rebrand, you know, the franchise. It's it, it is just another way 
for them to kind of enhance the story and move it forward. Mm, okay. That's really all I felt about it. I mean, so we're going to get another saw. Well, there yeah, are, if you're, if you know this franchise, you know, there are lingering questions that need to be, that could be answered somewhat. Still. So it's like, there's, okay. there's more territory to explore were they to continue on. Well, let me ask you guys both the question. When do you guys see these coming straight to DVD? I mean, they haven't so far. That's I don't true. know. If, I don't know. Uh, I would say at least another two or three. Well, let's see. What is this? This is technically eight. This is eight. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe after 10. But I don't even know if they'll do them or not. Um, Yeah, I doubt. I I don't think it will go that far. Yeah, I don't think it will either. We can talk about the box office when we get to Suburbicon. Box office? Yeah. (laughs) But, but, I mean, Jigsaw, it is number one with 16 million, which is, I believe, the second lowest opening um, for a Saw movie. Uh, the movie theater yesterday in general, I just want to say that um, I went to the Glendale Galleria. The Galleria? Um, yeah. The Galleria? The Galleria. We're all, we're all doing T-1000. That's the T-1000. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was it was pretty – I mean everything was dead. That that theater was just dead. That seems That's because like right they probably got the arcade. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But, um, I mean, I went to the same amount of people that were in Jigsaw were in Suburbicon. That's not about right. Um, Let's see. Let me uh, let's get get to what I saw this week. Uh, I saw a few things. Um, Let's see. First up, I'll say, okay, so I I feel like I mentioned this like a couple weeks ago, but I saw The Square like a week ago, but it 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 actually opened in select theaters this week. This is the film. This is the film from Ruben Ostend, who directed Force Majeure a couple years back. Yes, okay. Yeah. Um, the Square. It's about a. It's about this art museum and a museum curator. It's the curator kind of. They've just installed this new installation called the Square, and it can. It basically goes over his life in like a like a like a couple weeks where they're trying to promote this new installation and various things are going on with him. Um, one thing is his interaction with a journalist played by Elizabeth Moss. Um, there's an incident where he loses his wallet and his uh, and his phone. And it's just these little things that happen to him, and he he promotes himself as this kind of kind of like an entitled cool person, yeah. like yeah, because he he has this kind of st- this stature as being this famous art curator at this popular modern art museum. And the film works as this kind of satire on modern art culture, as well as just kind of human decency in general. And it's very, I mean, if you know Force Majeure or you know this director, you know it's there's kind of a he makes they're like really subtle comedies like it draws a lot of humor out of everyday experiences and this film's a bit it's two and a half hours it's a bit broad as far as a long movie yeah and it's it's a little episodic as far as the things that are happening um but it is quite good and i really want to really to recommend just because it's okay. it, it, it almost feels like the best way i can say it, it almost feels like um sweden's answer to curb your enthusiasm where it it has these really awkward situations it's not as nearly as kind of overtly funny as something like Curb Your Enthusiasm, but it does have a lot of little humorous moments that kind of pepper throughout this story of this guy that's just trying to, like, live a week um, managing this art museum. Mm. Um, but it arrived now, so I want to mention it again. I, okay. I, I saw this a couple of months ago, I think before TIFF, and do you, th- I mean, I have to ask you this question. Do you think there's really much of an audience for this movie? No, of course not. It's a it's a it's a two and a half hour Swedish film. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I mean, even if it wasn't Swedish, like I I feel like it's a movie made for those 
who are fans of art and can appreciate someone mocking art. I'll put it this way. I'm, as I say in my review, I believe in the opening <laughs> words of my review, yeah. I'm not a fan of modern art. It is not something that generally interests me. Um, and I was very fascinated by this movie. I, I, I got the kind of jokes it was taking at the at that culture and at the people involved in it. And I mean, if that if, saying that, if that worked for me, I, I beyond any apprehension about like, what's this? It's a random Swedish movie with no stars I've heard of, although it does have English American stars and Dominic West in there and Elizabeth Moss and Terry and Terry Notary of Planet of the Apes. I thought you were going to say Terry Crews. No, Terry, yeah, Terry Crews. Oh, yeah, Terry he's, Crews he's one is of the security guards. He's really good. He's really good. Yeah, he's great. He does the best. Academy Award winning performance. Yeah. But no, I, I understand what you're saying, but it's like, it, as a, you know, an, an art house film about the art house, it's, um, obviously it has a limited amount of appeal. But that doesn't mean that I, I'm not going to not talk about it any less just because I don't think it has this massive appeal. No, no, no. I was just wondering. I also want to point out that I thought the movie was would have worked better as a series of skits rather yeah. than a movie itself because I, I felt that. like certain things about it were the, to me the humor was really weird about it like some of it was really like geared towards poking fun at the art community and then you have that scene with the condom and it's like I don't know it was it was weird watching this because I had a very big struggle with figuring out who this movie was for. And as we have already discussed, not for a very big audience, but it was just like, even some of the things in the film felt like they were, some of them were a little bit more mainstream and more like infantile and silly, something that I feel like the masses would appreciate and pick up on. Yeah, and then there was kind of broad and yeah. more subdued humor. Like in the same way as something like Inherent Vice, um, the Paul Thomas Anderson uh, film, where there is a, there's a lot of big swing for the fences humor in that movie, as well as a lot of just like Paul Thomas Anderson doing weird stuff. Like I think it has a similar kind of draw in that sense. Bad Paul. Yes, that's actually, a, I, I will give you that. I think that's a very good comparison. And it's also two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> what else did you see? Um, I saw, okay, I saw the darkest, I saw Darkest Hour. Not to be confused with The Darkest Hour. I saw Darkest Hour. Um, this is the Gary Oldman, uh, as Winston Churchill, film directed by Joe Wright, who we are fans of on this podcast. We are. Yeah. Uh, is it, though, yeah, you think he's a lock, right? For best I, actor, I think Gary Oldman is a lock for best actor. This movie oh, is wow. fantastic. It is. Um, it really is. I was, I, I, like, I was expecting it to be like, you know, good enough because like Gary Oldman is Winston Churchill and Joe Wright. Like that seems like good enough. This movie's really good. Like way, mm -hmm. like way better than I expected it to be. Which wow. it, I mean, it's, it's one of my, it's probably because I really like Hannah a lot. Um, but it's like probably one of my favorite Joe Wright films in general. Uh, Gary Oldman's fantastic in the way where he just is Churchill. Like after a, after a point, like after a couple minutes, you're like, I don't need to worry about this being makeup. It's just he's Churchill now, and it's just it's really well done. Um, it covers just like a month of his life, like right when he's entered in as prime minister, and just him dealing with Dunkirk, with the, like how to handle the Dunkirk situation. That's the basic plot of the movie. And like, this is the UK version of Lincoln. Pretty much, because it's about a politician being <laughs> yeah, a politician. Yeah. Like that's and, really and, what it in is in a very specific in a very time specific, period. Yes, exactly. Yeah, just but, like you know, just like a few months kind of thing. Yeah, which is the kind of biopic that I really enjoy lately. Ones that kind of go yeah. into a specific aspect of uh, you know a significant person's life, and it does yeah. a great job of like showing the showing the politics of the situation in a way that's entertaining and fun to watch. It, it has a lot of humor in it by being a drama. 
um, as far as kind of stuffy Brits saying things. Like, there's a lot of it's an enjoyable film, um, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, it's it's covering like how Churchill wants to ha- you know handle this Dunkirk situation and like in you know Hitler in general, while these other politicians because Churchill was not a you know he wasn't well liked when he was first kind of in there, and so it's it's goes back and forth between him trying to gain approval, figuring out a plan, and dealing with others that are trying to get him out of office. And it's just, it's really good. And it's a great compliment to uh, the film Dunkirk. Like, it's a great kind of back and forth uh, as far as, like, seeing the actual situation in Nolan's film versus seeing the politics behind it in this movie. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I since, since we're probably not going to do, like, a full review on Darkest Hour, I'm just saying right now, this movie is one to see when you find it. Like, it is great. Although we might do a, a commentary on The Darkest Hour. Oh, we're course, not with, sure yet. With Emile Hirsch, of course. Yeah. Emile Hirsch, yeah. yeah. Electricity Monsters? Yes. Um, but yeah, I, it, I've actually never seen that movie. Neither have I. I just saw the trailer and I thought it was hilarious. My mom and I yeah. saw the movie on Christmas Day when it opened. Boom. <laughs> um, Mic drop. I will I will mention one last movie. Um, I've okay. been watching a lot of horror movies this month just because I do that in general. I'm going to be doing all these fun bonus episodes where I'm like, I really want to watch that. Um, yeah. It's a film that Brandon Peters recommended last year on, on our zombie episode called The Battery. Um, it, oh. is, it is a very low budget zombie movie from 2013 and it's really good it's about these it's about like a zombie invasions happened at this point like it's just a, we're already in the apocalypse and it's just these two guys that are baseball players um, that are just kind of trying to survive they're in the backwoods they occasionally find cars they can use they have very limited amount of supplies and it's just these two guys kind of managing their life through this you know apocalyptic scenario and it's really well done like it's like 90 minutes it's 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 cheap but it's not cheap looking if you know what i mean like it's a well it, it handles its low budget very well because it's right it's mainly in the woods and stuff so it's not like you need to really do a whole bunch of elaborate work it's generally well <laughs> acted it has this really neat folk music soundtrack um it's it's just it has a lot of like quirk value to it and it's just it's solid it's a solid it's a solid kind of horror drama comedy to a point Okay. As far as kind of humor and actions, but it's, it's just a good one. Like, I, you know me, Abe. I'm a huge zombie movie fan, and so you know, discovering a new one that's really good, like Train to Busan last year, for example. Um, it's always still haven't seen it. It's on Netflix. It's really good. I know. And I'll, the battery, I'll check it out. That's available on. Um, it's a Scream Factory Blu-ray release, actually, which I believe is pretty inexpensive. Um, so Wait, do you have to have a Scream DVD player to play that? <laughs> yes, a Scream DVD. That's a okay. DVD, that's that's a that's a player where it looks like an any other player, except on the top of it has this uh, the uh, ghost face mask. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost face. Player. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, well that, the, that's the DVD player I'm not buying. <laughs> on the bottom of it, it has the scary movie merchant mask. <laughs> so it's like the same face, but just kind of you know off. You can you can choose, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's the battery, which I would for any zombie fan, I'd heartily recommend. Okay, all right, that's enough quickies. Yeah, let's move on now. Let's get to trailer talk, where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, and what have you. And uh, this week we're talking, speaking of Paul Thomas Anderson, Phantom Thread, the latest film from Paul Thomas Anderson, who is worked with Daniel Day Lewis once again. This is supposedly his last film. Until Daniel Day Lewis is last film. Yeah, until he retires, yeah. and he retires after. Although he said that before, and any actor that says they retire generally comes back. But anyway, the, the film is set in the 1950s London. Uh, Day Lewis is a um, he's a dressmaker, um, and he forms a relationship with a new woman who's making dresses for. I assume this is a drama. <laughs> um, I, I assume it will have a very deliberate pace, and I believe Johnny Greenwood does the score, so it'll at least sound great. Uh, let's start with Scott. Scott, what do you think of the trailer for Phantom Thread? It's fine. Like, I, I, it's, um, 
You know, this was a very weird movie because I feel like it's very rushed and kind of last minute for focus. And um, considering it's been talked about, that this is Daniel Day-Lewis's like last role, even though we all know he could change his mind again. Um, I was expecting to be really wowed by the trailer, but it doesn't look like it's going to be anything that particularly stand out. And since we've already talked about it, um, I was incredibly disappointed with Inherent Vice from a few years back. So that movie kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Mm -hmm. So when I saw the trailer for this, I was really hoping that it was going to wow me. And I was thinking this is going to be the Daniel Day-Lewis that's going to give, you know, like Gary Oldman the run for his money come awards season. I don't see it. I just don't. Um, I think the movie's going to be um, fair for, uh, once again, like all Paul, Paul Thomas Anderson movies, for a very specific audience. I don't feel this movie has a mass appeal at all. Um, you know, some of his movies kind of do better than others. I think this is going to be one that's going to do uh, next to nothing at the box office. W.A. I think that the trailer started out slow for me and then it kind of picked up later when I was trying to when I was picking up on some of the, the acting from Daniel Day Lewis and also some of the cinematography from I don't know who. But uh, I kind of agree with the scout there where it's, it's, it's so a fine Paul, trailer. Paul Thomas Anderson is the cinematographer, actually. Oh, does he go by a pseudonym? Nope. Or he just. OK. Yeah. <laughs> P, uh, PTA. Uh, PTA. Yeah. Yeah. PTA doing his uh, PTA meetings. Um, it, I think it's a fine trailer. I think that. It, it, I don't know if it's a rush or not. I mean, I'm sure you guys have uh, some details on the trades from that, but um, I'd be curious because I think that there was probably going to be some some good dramatic performances in here. I'm just uh, obviously not that uh, moved by the trailer. But the people involved, I'm a, I'm a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm a fall, I'm a, I was a fan of uh, Inherent Vice, even though it was a little long and also a little wonky. Um, but uh, Daniel Day Lewis, man, I I just uh, I don't think there's ever really been a movie where I where I thought to myself, well, if Daniel Day Lewis wasn't in here, then that would be a better movie. It's like I'm curious to see what his performance is going to be like, um, even though the the subject matter perhaps might get into that territory of wow, this is just some really uh, this is some really boring 1950s London stuff. I the the presence of Daniel Day Lewis, I, I'm not going to make that sound like it's going to be an event for people, but I do think people get you know are more curious when he appears and things just because it is so rare. Um, I am a Paul Thomas Anderson fan. I really liked Inherent Vice a lot, along with all of his other movies. Um, that said, this does feel like more in the vein of something like The Master, as far as having an inherent value of uh, inherent, um, as far as <laughs> how involved people want to be with something like this because it doesn't have a it doesn't necessarily have like a big hook. In the same way, something like "There Will Be Blood" does, where that like feels like something different. Um, this feels like a random uh, period drama that happens to star one of the greatest actors working. Um, that said, I just looking at the trailer, it very much looks like a Paul Thomas Anderson film. It looks like it's going to be very kind of well made and interestingly shot. Um, whether or not that transfers to you know, giant box office, that's regardless of the point. Um, I think the kind of if you I, you mentioned kind of rush. I don't think it's necessarily rush as far as the shooting scale. I think it's a very limited film. Um, so it's there's only so many characters, there's only so many locations. Probably you know it's, it was 
I can't imagine being a secretive production, but it's not like it was drawing much attention because it's not, you know, th there's nothing to spoil. In well, it well, the, the so weird thing was, and I'll tell you this because I guess the now that the title is officially out, mm -hmm. when we were when we were doing our coverage for Toronto International Film Festival, um, Ashley put up a list of I think like nine or ten movies that we were surprised weren't premiering there, and at the time, like the title of this movie which was in quote in the article as Phantom Thread, you know, they, they wrote us and they said, can you take it out and put it as like untitled Paul Thomas Anderson movie? Mm. And I'm like, well, everyone has, like it was listed at that time on IMDb and I think Wikipedia had it. So it was like, what, what are they hiding with this movie? I mean, and like, what's the big deal? Like there's the, the only people who I think are going to go see this movie are people like us who are part of this podcast, people who are film, either hardcore film buffs or um, film critics, and then like an occasional one or two people out. Like, I don't I don't think this is this big mass of appeal. Well, yeah, it's not it's not focused. a Marvel movie as far as like, no, yeah, no, but I certainly feel like it's going to be in an but, yeah, I think but, it's going to be an art house theater for but sure. Obviously, but I but I do. I mean, regardless of your own thoughts on why movie needs to be secretive it is more it is an artist doing their work and if they're not comfortable sharing you know a you know a, a version of that that they're comfortable with yet whether it's you know confirming a title or whatnot i you know i'm not i'm not upset for them to want to hold that information back if like paul thomas anderson feels like well it's like i'm still working on this thing and i'm not entirely sure about something yet. like and that's me speaking speculatively of course but i i, I can get that i can understand if if they didn't officially release something, they don't necessarily want something out right away. You know, it's the... a worse title. What solo? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I was like, God. wow, that's not. I, at first, I thought people were joking when I was seeing that on Twitter. I was like, is this is this real? Did somebody just Photoshop the name Solo there? Nope, it's real. So Phantom Thread, not a terrible name. <laughs> I also, I I think PTA, he's just not concerned with you know awards. Like, no, I don't he doesn't a, care. He yeah, doesn't so it's, care. So it's like I don't. It might be rushed on Focus's part just because they, you know, they have this thing. It's finished, so they want to get it out now. They got, they got to market the thing. But at the same time, it's like, I, you know, if he he made it before the end of the year, it's like, okay, well, here it is. And so they're gonna, yeah, they're gonna. It's gonna seem like they're rushing to kind of get this into the conversation. That that makes sense to me. I can understand that. It might not be the preferred way they want to do it, but I can get it. I get it too. I mean, it's just, I I feel like, I don't know. This is just general commentary on studio stuff. I feel like number one, they put out too many movies a year. But the the more important thing is is that I feel like studios have a lot of some studios have a lot of good movies, and what happens is is that they rush them instead of putting them out throughout the year, they rush them and they shove them all in the end here. And I think over the last couple of years, it's proven that you don't need to do that in order for them to be remembered come the end of the year. Yeah. Um, and I'm noticing more and more movies like Wonderstruck, you know, great movie. Um, but like there's just no promotion behind it because, you know, that's Amazon Studios and they have so much stuff they're pushing. You know, they want that. They want Last Flag Flying. Um, you know, they still have the big sick hanging around Brad's status, which they completely forgot about. But there's like there's just like a whole bunch of movies that they just released in the last like month or two that kind of just went nowhere. And I feel like focus, you know, they they have that darkest hour is going to do well. 
It's yeah. not going to do gangbusters, but it's going to do well. Mm-hmm. And that's the movie that I feel like they should be focusing on. And if this one came out a little earlier in the year, I felt like that may have helped the chances of being, you know, kind of having a lot of buzz. It's it's very similar to how I feel about what um, Fox is doing right now with they have the post that we still haven't seen the trailer for. And that's supposed to come out on Christmas. And then also The Greatest Showman, which we have one trailer for, but there's no screenings. There's no buzz cir- circling that either. And both of those are supposed to be award movies. Greatest Showman, yeah. I'm a little more surprised of because that is like, that's not just like an art house. That's like a big musical like a, for yeah. the season yeah. with Hugh Jackman, who's a big star. The post yeah, I can get because the post will come out like in four theaters on Christmas and spread wide on like January fifteenth or something like that. Like I guess right. you're saying this post. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the post uh, is this, this post is a Steven Spielberg film of Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Oh, the Pentagon okay, Papers gotcha. movie. Ah, okay. Yeah. But I'm just I, I'm just I just want to kind of bring that little topic up because I thought it would be interesting to tie into this. It's just that it is. There's always like a lot of stuff that is kind of being pushed at the last minute. And now, you know, people are still talking about Get Out. And that came out all the way in February. And yeah. Big Sick, which came all, you know, to me, came out in January when it was at, you know, Sundance. But it still hit in um, July or June or July. Yeah, yeah. And then it hit June. And then like, so like it's showing now that a lot of these movies are be, becoming more and more talked about throughout the year. And I think it, I think it says more about a movie, too if it can stand the course of time. So like if it could go from January or March and then last until December, that's great. You know, this last minute kind of stuff now, I think they're, they're, it's becoming a little bit too overcrowded and they're not being able to put the marketing dollars towards a lot of good stuff. You know, things are tanking like crazy um, because they just, they're, releasing too much of the tank the same type of movie that they want to push for awards at the same exact time every single year yeah there's, there, no, there's no evolution in the release schedules which needs to happen if you want to actually procure both you know make these blockbusters continue thriving where you you know you do get a number of disappointments in that field but then also yes in this regard you get this kind of <laughs> the shove at the door of all these things trying to get through at the last minute is like, well, is that really necessary? Is there a way to spread that out? And that is something that does does need to evolve. I do find January. This going to be January. Well, I mean, even in January, it's still like every week, you know, four That's movies true. expand to more theaters that are like, oh, these, this is that thing that everyone was talking about last month. Like, it's like, okay. like I get what, I completely agree, Scott. Yeah, it is a good topic of conversation that does apply to this film. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too, because I... I, I... Listen, there's depend regardless of how I feel about Paul Thomas Anderson, um, he has he has a market base. He's for you know most of his movies are for critics, people who vote in award season, and I think they're they're doing him a big disservice by sticking him so late in the game when they have other movies that they're already promoting that are have already gotten buzz from various festivals. It's just I feel like it's just it's it's not doing him any justice. It really isn't. Mm. Regardless of how the movie is. With all of that in mind, because we have to move on, Phantom Thread opens the theaters uh, December twenty fifth. Yeah, so Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, yeah, and imagine it'll spread. So right out. after yeah, exactly. Right after you open up your gifts, you're just gonna be like, let's go see that PTA movie. Bro, oh, yeah. Four hours? Well, done. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll just come back for Christmas dinner. But yeah, no, it'll open then. It'll probably spread wider throughout the month of January. Yeah. All right. Let's move on now, guys. Let's get to our main review for Suburbicon. 
Welcome to Suburbicon, a town of great wonder and excitement. Hey there. Built with the promise of prosperity for all. Nikki, you need to get up. There are men in the house. something I have to tell you. Those men killed your mom. We've decided it'd be best if your Auntie Margaret came and stayed with us. Nikki needs a mother. We'll be strong. We'll be fine. Mr. Lodge? Yes. You know a character named Rizzoli? He's a loan shark. If you were into the mob for money, that might explain what happened to your wife. All right. That should have been some of the trailer for Suburbicon. This is the sixth film from director George Clooney, who took on the project along with his writing producer partner, Grant Hesloff, who adapted the script from something that the Coen brothers wrote originally back when they released Broad Simple back in the 80s. Uh, this film is set in a fictional 1950s town, and it puts its main story uh, against a backdrop of racial tension, as in all, the all-white town faces the dilemma of the first black family moving into one of the homes. Matt Damon stars as Gardner Lodge, that's a name. A simple family man whose life has just been upended by some no-good nicks. Now he deals with the grief and other possible seedy situations while his son and, sis and sister-in-law, uh, Julianne Moore, also deal with the recently changed circumstances. More trouble ensues with the arrival of other flies in the ointment. Scott, I have you on this podcast very specifically. <laughs> One is that nobody saw this movie this weekend. Suburbicon right. <laughs> uh, opened in ninth place um, with $2.8 million dollars. It is the lowest debut for any wide-release Matt Damon film of all time. Um, it is very low in general for Paramount, a studio that's been struggling for Oh, my God, years. this year they've... My yeah. God, yeah. It uh, did not do well. The, even the cinema score um, is a D-. minus. <laughs> uh, yet, I know you are a little more favorable. So what do you think of the film? Oh, well, thank you for having me on the podcast. So, so I, I always, this is going to be very uncomfortable for me to support this film because I feel like everyone's like attacking me like crazy for liking it, which is so. Hey, I guess that's what. what You're in a safe so space. Special. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess that would, that's what makes film so great, right? It's subjective. Um, okay, so I guess. Uh, I'll, I'll share some initial thoughts and then I'll kind of we can talk about it and why you didn't like it. And then I can kind of give you my thin opinion as to why I liked it. I don't know what I thought <laughs> right now. I, I don't know what okay. Abe thought either for sure. So we'll see. Blank slate. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I know I'm I'm spoil I'm a spoiler alert. I'm sorry. Um, OK, so I saw this. I saw this at TIFF. Um, I remember it played a day or two earlier at Venice. The reviews were not kind. So I went to see it. Uh, had an open mind. I was a big fan. Um, I thought that this was a really dark and clever satire on the 1950s in like a New Jersey suburb, which is somewhere that I grew up in. Um, really loved the performances. I thought the movie never took itself seriously. Uh, I just had a blast with it. I love the social commentary in the film. Um, I wonder if I'm seeing something that other people aren't. Um, but I thought the dialogue was very witty. I thought some of the setup, the use of like the media in the background worked really well for me. And I, I just had a blast with it. And I thought it was crazy because all the negative reviews that I went 
back out last night to see it again to make sure it wasn't just like, oh, I saw it in the middle of the festival and I just enjoyed it because it was like a lighthearted movie as opposed to the serious dramas. And I saw it last night and I still enjoyed it and I got a little bit more out of it the second time. So let me add a little um, context to the actual uh, script, as I mentioned this in the, the write-up already. Sure. Um, as I said, this is the, the Coen brothers wrote a script called Suburbicon back in 1986, mm-hmm. um, which was focused on the Matt Damon side of the storyline. Uh, George Clooney and Grant Heslov, they wanted to make a story about the Myers, our actual real family that did move into an all-white neighborhood in the 1950s. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they wanted to make kind of a dramatic biopic out of that. Sometime in the 2000s, Clooney um, was with the Coens, and they were going to make the Suburbicon movie together. That kind of fell through, and eventually Clooney picked up the script, and they kind of merged those two stories together, and now we have Suburbicon. So I wanted to throw some context in there, because I found all that interesting. I do think there's huh. things about yeah. that that yeah. make that an give some neat context to the production of this movie. So now with that, Abe, what did you think of Suburbicon? This movie is... Uh, I didn't like this movie as much as Scott did, and part of the reason is that I knew that it was written by the Coens uh, going into the movie, and so I I got the sense of the Coens, meaning I got their sarcasm, I got their wit, I got their uh, play on uh, a lot of things mundane in you know everyday life, but it just didn't it didn't execute as well as a Cohen movie would have if it had been directed by them. And this has come up a few times. I think they've written another movie for another director, and it just didn't feel as right. It's the one with uh, Colin Firth. Um, but what? Gambit. Oh, Gambit. Wait, I was like, isn't that delayed by Fox? But uh, no, I, I see what you're saying. Um, and the movie itself, it, it's a bummer that you just told me that it, they they kind of wanted to focus on the Myers more because the Myers aren't really the focus of the movie anyway. I I think that they were kind of still pushed back into the background. Sure. They're there and sure you can, you kind of hate seeing what's going on on the screen when, uh, when they are there, but they still are sort of the side character to this, uh, to this, uh, you know, critique of suburban American life back in the 1950s or even perhaps today where everything's fine. If you live in the, uh, in the suburbs, because you know, there's probably no crime. You've escaped this that city life, and everything's all uh, well and good. When in reality, there's just a whole bunch of you know talking behind your back or uh, subversiveness or whatever the case is. And it's kind of unfortunate that while I got what Clooney and the and the Coen brothers were were writing, it just didn't feel as though it was executed that well. So it was kind of a disappointment to see um, a scene where everyone keeps on telling Matt Damon that they're sorry, just turn into um, not something not as fun as I would have predicted. Um, Cause I certainly got that sense of, well, I, I get what they're doing here. It's some, it's very sarcastic uh, about what they're doing and, and how they're presenting it, but just wasn't as, as executed as well. I do like some of the actors in it. Uh, I think that Julianne Moore is doing a good job um, in kind of like a dual role approach, but also the, the kid who plays her son does a good job. Um, I kind of wish that I had a better understanding of the relationship of, of the the young son and the next door neighbor, and also with uh, with an uncle that that's in the movie. So, all in all, um, it it goes from from all right. I mean, the movie itself, like the plot, goes from all right to just you know uh, out of control, 
And you've seen that in a lot of Coen Brothers movies, but I think it's just handled better when it's directed by the Coens, who know their own timing, their own pacing. Obviously, this this script was augmented by Clooney and uh, his writing partner, but um, uh, there's still a lot of Coen threads there. Uh, With that being said, though, George Clooney, I I think I saw this quote from the tweet from you, Aaron, where it's just like maybe he just has two good movies in him. I've only seen Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which I really liked. I haven't seen Good Night and Good Luck, which I think is the other movie that you you referenced. But um, in terms of the other ones, yeah, uh, Monuments One Men, I that was kind of forgettable as well. Um, so Clooney maybe just uh, needs some some polish. But on the whole, I, I wouldn't say that it's a movie that I, I particularly enjoyed. I agree with Scott that uh, there's a lot of good social commentary in there, um, and I understood that. But it just didn't really feel as though it was fully fleshed out. That's the point where I'm going to start with because I hated this movie. <laughs> um, I, I I think it is awful. Um, for two big reasons. One is the, you have, you know, two stories here. You have three stories, really, but you have two main stories. One's the crime caper side, the other's the side of the Myers. And I didn't find the Matt Damon side of the story funny, which is a giant problem right there. Like, if you know, if that's supposed to be kind of this, you know, dark comedy and the humor's not working, I'm not going to be able to, uh, you know, have a great time with a movie that's trying to be funny and isn't. Um, on the other side of it involving the Myers... The, the major issue I think is how it handles them as far as you know maybe you already mentioned it, is kind of pushing them to the side I've I see this a lot with directors generally white directors where you get this kind of attempt to make the you know the people of color the ones that are being oppressed into kind of noble heroes because they're not saying anything so that makes them stronger as opposed to the ones that are rioting and yelling and whatnot and that just it's not working anymore. <laughs> like it's not, it can't, you, I can't keep seeing this repeated where you have, you know, a bunch of white people on the other side of the fence yelling these obscenities and hurling bricks or what have you while the noble Negro just sits to the side and, you know, it's like, we're bigger than them because we're not saying anything. There's no character here. And that upset me. Like it's upsetting to watch a film that's already, you know, trying to upset you by saying racism's bad. And it's like, well, yeah, I get that, but what else are we doing with it? And it doesn't do anything with it. It just has these characters who say almost nothing at all. The the father has one line of dialogue. The mother gets a few more things to do. And the son obviously has the most, but like, it's not it's not telling me anything that I don't already know. And Scott, you've mentioned how you know you wonder who these movies are, how what movies some movies are for, like The Square and and um, Phantom Thread, as you mentioned. I wonder what this movie, who this movie is supposed to be for, because I think the people that are going to see Suburbicon, directed by George Clooney are people that already know that racism's not good. Like, so, I mean, it's not enlightening me on anything. It's not doing anything all that unique with the racial tension backdrop beyond just using it as kind of flavoring for the rest of this movie, where everything's not as good as it seems in this all-white neighborhood. And so it just, it just see, kept I, bugging me. See, see, what, what, see, this is where I kind of disagreed with everyone on this. Mm-hmm. All right, how I took this movie was they used the Myers as the backdrop but the backdrop to a much bigger bigger situation there's and this is notorious i mean and it's still apparent today is there is and then they rent they reference it in the movie like oh you remember what happened when trenton when they moved in or something like that or it was some other town too they mentioned yeah and what what I think this movie is really trying to say, and I got it, and I guess and maybe you did too, but it's using the racial thing as a distraction 
from what's really going on and how the white people are just trying to cover up everything by shifting the focus and blaming the black. They could change yeah. the black person to the Hispanic person, to the Asian, to the Indian, whoever. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. What they're what it, what they're using is is that. They're all so concerned about this black family moving in, you know, moving in, and they're going to take down the neighborhood, and they're going to be so, they're going to destroy everything that our wonderful, perfect little lives have been set up for. Yet next door to that is this family who's corrupt, who's doing all this shady stuff, who's linked with murder, with the mob, which. They don't even seem like they care about their son. They're more concerned about what their plan of attack is. And that's all as a distraction for everyone else in the neighborhood. Like no one else is paying attention to the storyline, what's going on. They're too concerned at the neighbors because, oh, my God, this black black couple moved in next door. Let's focus there. So and throughout the movie, there's all these like little news clips of like, oh, it was fine until they came into the neighborhood. And it's just, to me, what I got out of it was this, this movie is so incredibly anti-white. And then it, it kind of not trying to make this big elaborate thing of, you know, like they needed to stand up, the Myers needed to stand up. That wasn't the point at all to me. The point of, of this movie was just that these white, sophisticated, you know, snooty people who think they're entitled, who think they have their privilege. It's, a, it's an attack on white privilege. And that's what I got out of this movie. I, I felt like, yeah. I, compl I completely understand that. And that's, to me, it just, it rings very, it's all right there. Like, it, it's not, it's not subverting anything for me. It's just presenting, it's not even, it's not even subtext, it's just text right there on the screen. It's not feeling any, it's not feeling particularly creative. It feels angry. And I get that. I get that. You know, George Clooney is a he's a, he's a giant liberal. I under, I understand that for sure. And right. he's certainly, certainly putting that kind of his point of view into a film. And he gets credit for making his angriest movie, um, short of Good Night, Good Luck. But even that movie has a you know a, a subdued sort of sense of humor. But here, I had, you're saying it. You know, it it's, it doesn't have to be about the Myers because it's more about this greater point. But that's the issue. That's the problematic issue for me. Where I get that there's a greater point, but I've seen this, and again, the people that are seeing this know this already too. I mean, it's and so you're if you're putting a, you're using these people as just like a gateway to show it a, a greater message. That message is already obvious to me. So you're just kind of like shunting aside people, you know, actual people, and I, instead I get to focus on other people who are terrible people. And mm -hmm. if you're going to do that, fine, but make that part of the story entertaining. And the problem is, I didn't find that story entertaining. I don't think Damon's particularly good in this role. I think Moore's fine. Oscar Isaac was really the best part of the movie for me. He comes in, it's he Oscar is. Isaac, and he's just having yeah. a blast. He seems to get the actual rhythms of this, you know, a co That's because he's, he's been Lou and Davis before. He's been Lou and Davis. And I also like Noah Jupe, who plays the, um, oh, the yeah, son. Oh, yeah, he's great. The, son, the yeah. son's very... And honestly, if the movie had its entire perspective from his point of view, I would have really liked that. That's the third movie I'm talking about, where you yeah. have his perspective and him. And you, I feel like it would also be able to balance more between the kind of the racial plot as well as the crime plot if you just pointed it only from him. You didn't even get, I mean, did you take that away from the movie too? Was like, it was interesting because in the beginning of the movie, you have the two Julianne Moore characters. I think it's Rose and uh, Margaret. Margaret, yeah. And they're sitting there and, you know, they're they're talking about, 
you know, the colored family that moves in next door mm -hmm. and they like, you know, go play with the colored boy. And like immediately, you know, they just hit it off, you know, throughout the movie, there's like yeah. little bits of sprinkle time where they're like, they're playing outside and they're having communication and everything. Um, you know, and I think that was another thing that I appreciate about the movie was that, you know, as, you know, as a younger, you know, a, a younger generation, you know, and as a child, you don't see that. You don't see you don't see color or anything. You literally just see, you know, another person. And that, and, hits, that hits to the points of the movie where it's like it's this right. older generation that has this issue that won't seem right. to go away. Where the younger generation is going to come in and be like, none of this matters. Like, I guess you know, what I guess what the thing is too is is that for me is is that there's so many topic there's so many points that this movie hits on that are just so still relevant today. That it's like it's kind of funny oh, of watching course. this. That I'm watching it, and it's supposed to be taking place in the 1950s, and yet I still feel this is America today. Um, you know, and I think there's. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the message that Clooney is trying to convey as well, right? I mean, you know, life today is not that much different in terms of British relations or social norms or whatever the case is. I mean, it still happens in pockets, if not much larger well, groups, and that's yeah. kind of his uh, criticism. And I think, you know, kind of going on this and I mean, I'm I'm just coming off my own, like thinking about my mindset. I don't know if any of you guys know this, but like I've I grew up in a mixed house. Um, I was uh, I was the only child. I have six brothers, four of which are black. So like I grew up in New Jersey, where like this round this area where this movie is kind of mocking. And, you know, you see that all the time still. I remember going, taking my brothers to a movie and people were saying like, oh, you can't buy a ticket for them. You're not related to them. Um, but what I think the problem is. First of all, movie, where's your movie? Yeah, I know. I need to make it. <laughs> um, but I think what the problem, I, I think what I see as a problem with this movie is that you're right about this is a George Clooney movie. Who's going to see George Clooney movies? Rich, you know upper class white people. And what's going to happen is, is that, and I'm going to say this because I can, is that white people very much never want to want to say their faults. They don't want to feel and say what they see on screen somewhat represents them. And there is this very unfortunate, even in our industry here and these people, you know, a lot of people who we associate with, where I get this feeling that some of this movie may have like kind of like related a little bit to them because people are much easier to say something on Twitter <laughs> than if something happens in real life and them actually going to bat for it. So I think there's a lot of I don't know, I, I, I have a lot to say about this movie, but I also think there's a lot of people not openly admitting to some of the, the subject matters, even if it's not handled particularly well, like Aaron saying that he feels like some of the aspects are not handled as well. I feel like a lot of the audience that are seeing this is not being able to appreciate yeah. because they don't want to fully admit that sometimes maybe we do think that way still to this day. Which yeah, is, and that could I mean, be the case. And, and that certainly 
is probably uh, your your whole entire point about like you know uh, hiding white guilt. That yeah, sure, I, I can agree to, to some extent with that too. What I'm saying for this movie is just that I see all those points. It's just not a good movie. Um, okay, that's what I'm yeah, getting at. So, also, where I, I so it's, it's not that I'm missing out on any of the subversiveness or the subtext or whatever the case. It's just that I just didn't like the movie how I, how it was presenting it to me because. Uh, much to Aaron's uh, um, point of just the Matt Damon side of the story, it's like this isn't a fun story. Like I know that it's not supposed to be fun, but it's just not handled well, in a way that it's trying to have comedy throughout it. It's trying to, and it's trying to, yeah, it's trying to provide some moments of like sarcastic levity, but mm-hmm. um, it doesn't. It, it just comes across as flat. You know, even some, even the cinematography, the way that it's shot, it's just like you know, I. I, I'm thinking back to the point where uh, two guys are walking in to go see Matt Damon. You see their, you see, at first it starts off with like the, their their feet, then seeing kind of different color socks, and then it kind of goes up to their body and their waist, and then it it, it shows like the background characters kind of looking at them, and there's no real reason for that same shot to happen when they're leaving as well. It just I don't know. I, I, just I'm not gonna. I, Robert Ellswood's a great cinematographer. I'm not gonna fault not, the production wise of that, or even Desplat Desplat's score in this movie. I, I think Desplat's score was annoying the shit out of me. No, I, I was like, what is there not a scene with music in it? It's very, it's very stylized. It's very much trying to kind of give you this retro vibe, and it has a very peculiar look that seems like Clooney's emulating what the Coens would try to do. Yeah, and that's that's what it feels like. It feels like a knockoff, right? That, and that's what I'm trying to say. The, the, uh, yeah. the film. Like I mentioned Oscar Isaac, he's one that gets it. It seems like he's the person that got the movie he was supposed to be in. It's yeah. a, and I could say the same for um um the uncle character. I think oh he, yeah, the uncle for sure. And um the guy the the cop. Um um yeah, Jack, Jack, Jack Conley, who plays the cop in the movie. Yeah. I think they're all people that seem to get the exact rhythm of this film. And it just feels like and it's this happened a few times to me this year where I see movies where like all the pieces are here. It just feels it just feels like it's a few degrees in the wrong direction, and so it just by doing that, that means the humor doesn't work and the yeah. messages don't work. And Scott, I completely agree with what you're saying as far as far as white guilt. Honestly, I get I get where that perspective can come from as far as how some people would ex- would kind of expect that. But from my perspective, in a year where I have like Detroit, which I really like as far as you know, another white director handling this kind of topic matter, which ultimately doesn't matter as long as more than you know the, the movie is actually being made. But something like that, or even Get Out, I think those are movies that handle these kind of messages well, that do subvert certain aspects of it, that do present situations that are not entirely comfortable to watch, but are also necessary in their own way, regardless of which audiences is watching something like this, where this movie just fails in that regard. And if George Clooney wants a merit badge for making an angry film that you know goes after a perspective that some people are not you know taking to taking to heart as readily as they should. Good, give him the merit badge. But if he wants to make a good movie, he didn't succeed here, and that's my problem with it. Okay, I'm, and I mean, then I can't, you know, I like I said, I, oh, yeah, I it's think, a subject. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, everything's subject. I, I'm, I'm I, glad. I'm glad it worked for you. I'm glad the humor works for you, and I like. I'm not faulting the film for trying to do something. I mean, if right. Clooney's making, you know, regardless of his success in his films that he's made in the past, he certainly tries to do stuff. It might be a little too especially in the kind of later films he's recently done because i do think confessions of a dangerous mind and good night look are great i I love confessions of a dangerous mind but i i I think i think also a big problem is is that sometimes when directors i actually got a couple comments on my reviews about this which is really funny um i think sometimes there's a very big disconnect too, I think even almost it comes through in the movie, even if it's not intentional, 
when someone with so much money is making a topic about something that's like so serious and so important. Like it's kind of like, well, you wouldn't live in that area. Like, are you going to come move to Van Nuys now, George Clooney? <laughs> you know, like it's just like someone put that in my review. It's like the, the, the person who made this movie is not someone who's going to go live in a in an area where there's going to be like a mixed race neighborhood. Mm. It's literally going to be a primarily white neighborhood. And the only black people who are going to be there or people of color are going to be the people who you know, are ones that are connected in the industry or and are well known who will not, you know, kind of do anything, you know, any of the shenanigans. Mm. So I think in a lot of ways that it hurts movies where they're trying to make social commentary, too, is that sometimes and I, I think didn't we see that with Detroit, right? That was like the big backlash that kind of came out after a while. Yes. Was that? Yeah. They, some people were making that comment. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's starting to shine a little bit more. Um, you know, yeah, that's I mean, my, my in, problem in, with in, Florida Project, too. In the in the, the you know, like the year we're in where things and, you know, just times in general. But right, the, right. The, the kind of the same things are being hit upon over and over again. Yes, it's going to be more interesting inherently from, you know, people on an outside perspective, regardless of the film involved. But to see like an ambitious young filmmaker making their first movie because they came from the streets or they came from some certain neighborhood or they came from some certain part of the world and they're yeah. shedding light on that as opposed to someone that has everything in the world and decided to put their focus on this thing this time. I, I get yeah. that for sure. But I mean, it does for the purpose of a review or the show, it does come down to the movie that we're watching and right. the movie that I saw, regardless of intention, it just doesn't come off well to me. The, yeah. I mean, the I, it's going to be repetitive, but I mean, one half of the movie doesn't work because it's not funny, and the other half of the movie doesn't work because I, I just have a big problem with the way it handles the Meyer characters, as in not mm. giving them characters. And I think that is right. a huge that is a huge part of it. I get that Scott, your perspective, I respect it. There's a greater mission here to shed light on something else, as far as shifting blame and what have you. That's good. That's that's a that's an idea. That's an ideal idea, but for the purpose of this movie just didn't work for me. Uh, mm, and it, gotcha. yeah, and it's, <laughs> I, I wish it would. I want, I was, you know, I was looking, I, I like George Clooney as a director and I thought I did anyway. I've got to you know, four movies in. I'm like, well, <laughs> You've so got four. Yeah. You've but, got six movies here. But yeah, given the pedigree of people, but you know, you have Matt Damon, Julia and more and Oscar Isaac in the leads. You have George Clooney directing in a script by the Coen brothers, but this, just instead of the kind of good scenario, it just feels like, Nope, this is just kind of the scraps on the Coen's table that George Clooney took up. And it's like, all right, let's do this. And, Instead of making a movie that would have had the Myers as you know central characters in the midst of whatever else is going on in that biopic they're kind of working on, it just becomes this kind of let's shove stuff together and see what works, and it just didn't work at all. See, and I'm kind of in the middle, right? I'm in the middle of V2, where I, I saw all the pieces and I see that they don't work, but he's trying to glue some pieces together, and some of them do work. Um, but ultimately, it just when you look at it, when you when you step back and you take a look at it, you, I'm just looking at it something that just doesn't feel as cohesive. I mean, I don't really think there's really a, a great conclusion to the Matt Damon story character either. I mean, there's some dark stuff in there, and I, at the I end will, of it, I will say that because I don't think Matt Damon's particularly great in this movie, but I do think yeah. the final scene that he has, where he oh, has the a, table scene, a big monologue to his son, that stuff's yeah. really good. Honestly, the last. 20 15 minutes of this movie that's the stuff where i think the kind of coheny influence really takes hold really well i think the well, kind of the, the way the pieces fall right. into place that stuff where i'm like 
alright, I wish the lead-up to this was a lot better, because this stuff I'm actually enjoying, but... Yeah. But, yeah, no. And some, I, of, yeah. some of the silliness of it is just not that silly either. I mean, I think there's some some turns here that I'm just like, that would... Why would that even happen? I'm talking more of just like some guy driving in his Volkswagen Beetle. I'm like, when, what, what scenario would, would ever happen like that? But regardless, I... Scott, I definitely see your point too. I acknowledge everything that you've said, um, and it's just I just didn't like the way that it's executed. Yeah, I think um, you know, kind of talking. You know, it's always great to talk to people about movies. Um, what I can see, and I and I can totally see about this, and especially after talking to you two, is that um, I think some of the subject matters, like there was too much subject matters going on in this movie, and some of it, like maybe was trying to play itself too seriously and not upping the silliness of it. Oh yeah. Like that, which which I will agree on. Like, yeah, yeah, there's an issue with the tone, like certain things in this movie are a little bit more serious than they should be. And then other things are a little bit too silly. (laughs) So there's like this weird shift. I, I can, I totally can see that. Uh, Dad's movie corner real quick, Abe. Yeah, Dad's movie corner. He hated this movie. Okay. <laughs> he was not a fan. <laughs> no, that, that, and that was Dad's movie corner. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but it, you mentioned that, Abe, you mentioned that scene of where everyone's like saying sorry to Matt Damon because of his wife dying. It's a funny Coen Brothers execution of it's something. A great, it's a, yeah, that's an idea there. I can see that working in a film directed by them. But by the Coen like, Brothers. Yeah, right. but here it just comes off as flat. Like, And, and that's that kind of led me into thinking, okay... I see what you want to do, and I'm really hoping you impress me in some other comedic bits because that just that's right away, and that just did, yeah. I mean almost right well, away. Well, I mean so, right, so right away, honestly, is right away yeah. is back to back scenes of terribleness where it's like first the complaints of the black family, then the whole bad guys come to Matt Damon's house. It's like this is really dark. <laughs> it's just like yeah. so that and what you that's what you're mentioning about tone, Scott. Where I just I do I do think it just kind of it get for me it got off on the wrong foot, and by the time it starts to kind of wrap itself around what it's doing as far as its societal commentary, as well as the crime plot, which more or less wraps itself up in a unique way, to say the least. I was just, I was already off. I was already off the movie by that point. So it just it mm-hmm. never got it turned around for me. Yeah. Understandable. All right. Anyway, well, we, we need to see your movie, Scott. Six Brothers. Or seven, <laughs> seven Brothers? Oh, uh, the Mark Wahlberg movie? What was that yeah, called? Four that's Brothers. Four, that's Four, Four Brothers, Brothers, which Abe and I are big fans of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, you've, the, got, you've got seven, I think. The total. reboot. <laughs> the reboot? I don't know. Anyway. Let's, uh, when should people go and see this movie? Let's start with Scott. When, should, when would you say people should see this movie? Um, I mean, I would say in the theater, but um, I'm, hesitant. I, I'm hesitant to recommend this movie because... Kind of like what you were saying. I don't know who the audience of this is for. No, but I mean, if if you stick by your points, which you've made, and I think you've made very clear, you just stick with you know theater, like people. You know, yeah, like, I would go see it in a theater. Um, and I'm just saying that it's it's a let's put it this way, it's a film not for everyone. For sure, that's how I put it. Completely yeah. understand. And I would say anyone listening to this podcast, because we don't spoil too much. Anyone that listened to no. this entire episode heard our countering opinions, and you know sees what Scott's saying and sees what I'm saying. If you're saying people should see it in theaters, I would like to think that they'd. You know, they've heated both, you know, opinions and, you know, come out having their own, obviously having their own what, opinion. What about my them. opinion? Well, again, I'm getting to you next, You don't, Abe. You don't count, Abe. You don't get, count. Well, <laughs> well, you're in the middle, so it's like, I'm like, yeah. it's like involving you automatically. But, Abe, where, where would you, when would people, when would you say people should see this? 
I'd say you can uh, wait for HBO for this. This is something that you can, if you have premium cable and it comes on, you're like, you know, I'll give this a shot. But otherwise, uh, you wouldn't necessarily need to see it. And that's why I like this rating system, because I would agree with you. Like, I didn't like this movie whatsoever, but I do think there's the chance that someone that might kind of get into the rhythm of this movie more than I certainly did and would enjoy it in some capacity. That said, I don't think they need to rush out of theaters to see it. So yeah, HBO would be my kind of place to see it. Too, so. Oh, here we go. That's why I like our rating system, baby. It works out that way. It's not, <laughs> not always what you expect to hear. I know, yeah, surprisingly. Yeah. All right. Not all the IMAX is given, though. <laughs> well, That's the heist. Let's move on. That was our review for Suburbicon. Let's get to uh, feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over some of the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. We asked a number of questions for you, the listener. You guys gave us answers. Then you actually didn't get any questions this week, but you, normally you guys ask us questions. That's uh, all right. It's okay. We got a lot of feedback, so it's all good. Let's, uh, let's get it started. Thank you. Uh, first question. Favorite fi- and uh, Scott, feel free to lend in any answers you may have. Uh, sure. Favorite film that takes place in a suburban setting or culture. Amy writes Edward Scissorhands. Yancey writes American Beauty. Justin writes Pleasantville. E.T. Edward Scissorhands. A Christmas Story and The Sandlot. Chris writes Gross Point Blank. I think it fits. In any case, it's a bloody good film. As we know on this podcast, it's one of my favorite movies ever. So, yeah, I'm inclined to agree. And, yes, it is set in a suburb, so there you go. Uh, Manish writes Little Children. That's another good example, too. Yeah. Uh, Bill is a film that I kept thinking of throughout SuburbCon, actually. (laughs) Interesting. I kept thinking of Edward Scissorhands. I just like the commentary that they have there. I mean, all the houses are the same shapes. They're all, like, dull colors or bright, bright colors, and everyone's just in everyone's business. Edward Scissorhands for me and also Blast from the Past. Flash from the past. That's that's become a good TBS movie, as in it's oh, on TBS, yeah. and I'll be like, all right, that's kind of on. I'll just have it and then do work in the background. So. I mean, I was just surprised that they could survive on canned foods for like what is that, fifty years? It wasn't fifty years. No, because Brendan Fraser's only like thirty, so it's like thirty. Yeah, <laughs> it's like nineteen sixty nine, and it's movies from nineteen ninety nine. So yeah, it's like thirty years. Thirty years. Although Walking is time. great in that movie, though. Walking oh, is yeah. great. Yeah, and Alicia Silverstone's great in that movie. I don't know. Maybe, but uh, no, she is. Yes, she, she was great for the first like like six or seven roles. It was like really Batman and Robin really hurt everyone. Really just threw her off the rails there. Especially that George yeah. Clooney, rich man, millionaire, six films in. <laughs> I mean, he's got his he's like the part. only he's like the only one who like turned things around. I feel like. Hey, Chris O'Donnell's been on NCIS and LA NCIS for like twenty seven years. That's With Hello Cool J. Yeah, yeah. All right. Next question is: What is your favorite Julianne Moore performance? Nathan writes uh, Safe, 1995's, and Still Alice. George has 30 Rock. Chris has Children of Men. Manish has Far From Heaven and Magnolia. Offhand, I tend to say Magnolia. What was she in 30 Rock? I'm, trying, I'm sure she was like she's, some... She's, she's uh, the girlfriend of Jack, uh, Jack from Donaghy. Boston. Yeah, yeah, she's got that, that thick... Oh, that's like it's a really over-the-top Boston accent. Hey, Jack, you want to go to a Red Sox game? I knew it's it was like, like some, like... Probably girlfriend that Alec Baldwin had. I just couldn't remember. Yeah, I couldn't tell if Chris was writing Children of Men like facetiously because she just exits the movie in a way that you don't expect. Um, so anyway, I mean, she's in a third she of the movie. <laughs> I'm so sad no one said about her character in Jurassic Park: The Lost World. I mean, she's sad. scientist. That one. That's, yeah, that's on the bad list uh, on this podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. Of course it is. Um, but still, Alice for me. The, uh, the next question we have here, who are your favorite idiotic or dim characters from films written by the Coen brothers? Uh, Manish writes Clooney and Hail Caesar and Brad Pitt in Burn After Reading. Justin writes Nick Cage as Herbert in Raising Arizona. Hi. 
is H-I in Raising Arizona. <laughs> Chris writes Delmore, Delmar and Pete, also from Raising Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a, you know, these the Coens have lots of very dumb characters, yeah. so I'm trying yeah. to narrow down my favorite ones. <laughs> I feel like it's the entire boardroom in, uh, what's that movie with the freak? I can't remember his name. Boardroom? Yeah. Um... And what? Tim the Robbins. Hud, the Hudsucker Proxy? Hudsucker Proxy, yeah. It's the entire boardroom. Okay. They're just a bunch of idiots. Can I say Can I say uh, Tom Hanks and uh, Lady Killers? Of course you can. Yeah. Burn After Reading has a lot of really dumb characters. And I really like John. I like John Malkovich when he kind of, he plays pseudo smart, where his character has so much kind of pomp and circumstance around him because he's like a cia guy but he's just as dumb as anybody else in that movie <laughs> um yeah uh, next question who are your favorite leading actors turned directors and your favorite films from them nathan writes does tarantino count in hashtag and glorious bastards well, i would a, say he's a leading, he's actor. Never a leading actor but uh but sure why not Sure. Yeah. I mean, he was probably the the best worker at his video store. So there you go. He's the lead he's probably guy. The there. worst worker at his video store. Talking <laughs> their heads off and he the actually yeah. rent anything. <laughs> yeah, just like making his own cuts. Anyway, Chris writes. Uh, I was going to say Tarantino too after his amazing acting in Django and Chained, but we'll settle with Dennis <laughs> Hopper. Uh, Justin writes Ben Stiller, Walter Mitty. I still love this movie. Um, Manish has Denzel. Antoine Fisher is not talked about enough. I do like Secret Life of Walter Mitty a lot. I do too. Yeah, I underrated. think that's so underrated. Yeah, so underrated. Really good. Yeah. Do you guys have any answers for leading actress turned director? I think Ben Stiller is actually a good choice because he has quite a few movies. Didn't he also do Tropic Thunder? He did do Tropic Thunder. He did. Yeah. yeah. So that's another good one. And he's uh, very diverse too. I, you know, as as a director, because yeah. he he hasn't done the same type of movie. I like the. Did I like he, the changes. Reality Bites? Yes, that was mm-hmm. his first movie. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he's done some big swings as far as kind of things he's done. Um, we'll get back to this topic in a bit, but uh, for you'll see. Uh, but uh, offhand, um, uh, Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven, um, that's my favorite mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood-directed yeah. film in it's my favorite. It's just that some of his later films, I'm oh, just oh, like, no, eh. I'm not, It's not my favorite. He's not my favorite leading actor-turned-director, but as, as far as one that I want to mention, that's, oh, yeah. that's yeah. my favorite film of his, and that's my favorite performance of his, is Unforgiven. So it's that a one-two punch. Yeah. I will also say, since nobody's talking about this movie either, um, I will say Andy Serkis uh, and Breathe, because I really I really love that movie. That's another one that seems like it just got lost, where it's like it was coming yeah. out, then it came out, and I re- forgot that it like actually or you know came out in theaters already, and yeah, it's not getting yeah. any kind of attention. I yeah. know. What studio is that I... one? Is that Focus? Bleecker Street. Oh, Bleecker Street. Oh, Bleecker Street. Okay. That's just down the road from here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to shout out Joseph Gordon-Levitt, too, for uh, Don John. When's he going to do another movie? He seems like he's talking on Twitter all the time. He's never done well, he's, he's just really into his whole entire Red campaign, isn't he? Just, like, record anything anywhere kind of thing, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hit record, Joe. Yeah. 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 So. Well, next question. What? Saw returned this weekend for its eighth entry. What's your favorite horror franchise? Chris writes Hellraiser and Evil Dead. Justin <laughs> writes Aliens. So that's what we got. Child's Play. Child's that's Play? still going. And I think, did you guys talk about that, Aaron? The, the most recent one? Yeah, uh, we did in the, in our Child's Play commentary became basically okay. a, let's talk about the entire series commentary. And yeah, I, I would say, if you take out Seed of Chucky, you have a really solid horror franchise for a film that's going, you know, five plus movies at this point. Like it's at yeah. point, number eight. 
I think it's, yeah, I think it's again to be like eight, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I if Child's Play three is like okay-ish, like the rest of the series is pretty okay. solid. Besides, and Seed of Chucky's terrible, but besides that, the, the, the series is pretty solid all the way through. Yeah. Which is impressive, given you know it's moved the length and the breadth of it, and also uh, you mentioned that it's it's by the same writer all the all yeah, of them. Yeah, um, yeah, Don Mancini. Mancini. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's also incredible. That's another uh, feat that you don't really see a lot of. Yeah, I'm a huge Evil Dead fan, so I would go Evil Dead. Um, that's, that's as, as far as like I've mentioned many times that Halloween is my favorite of the kind of slasher franchises. See, if if Halloween didn't have like Season of the Witch in it or some of the other goofier really ones, <laughs> Season of the Witch, yes, that's just like not even Michael Myers. That's but it's just still, like it's a, still a good movie on its own. You take away that stigma, and it's just a really solid movie. Yeah, I guess. I mean, perhaps I haven't seen it in a while. All right. Well, the last question here is: What are your favorite gory horror films? Justin has. I don't have a favorite. But we'll, we'll, but still can't can't watch the thing even though I own the Blu-ray, it just stirs uh, on my Plex one day. I guess he's talking about uh, his Cineplex. I don't know. In his mind, <laughs> Chris has brain dead and bad taste, humor and 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 entrails. Peter Jackson. Uh, Jacob has Evil Dead Two and yeah, anything Evil Dead series. That was, that was a good one, Jacob. I was on the edge of my seat there trying to figure out what you were going to write next. I mean, offhand, I would say Evil Dead also. I also really like Brain Dead or Dead Alive, as it's referred to in America. Um, just mm, fantastic. Okay. I liked High Tension. <laughs> I don't like gory horror movies. <laughs> I'm aware. Um, all right. Well, we didn't get any questions this week, guys. That's <laughs> so, all right. It's all right. Well, uh, I think we've exhausted all the ones in our savings bank, too. Yeah, so we'll, we'll just table that for next time. Uh, you know, Feel free to give us questions, because we like you know, answering questions, too. But we did get into discussions about award season, which I think was beneficial. Probably could have been the stem of a question originally, anyway. So. Yeah. All right, let's move on, though. Let's, uh, that was feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback! Let's get, let's get to... Um, what, what time is it, Abe? I think it might be time for a game here, Aaron. Little known fact, Aaron was actually the understudy to Suburbicon, uh, but Alexander Desplat never got sick. I don't know why the game improv game days are getting longer, but I'm I don't liking know why it. Either. I was like, you know. <laughs> I'm the one doing it, and I'm like, <laughs> that was, of course, the improv team for games, and I have a game for you guys this week. Okay. It is called Stick to Your Day Job, Director oh. Flops. Mm. Wait, what was the second part? Director Flops. Okay, all right. So every answer is going to be a film from a director that's most that's largely known for acting. Um, and these the the films I'm going to be describing via a tagline as well as a description, if you don't get it from the tagline, is going to be one of their bigger flops in their career. Okay. So I'm going to read the tagline for a film, and you can try to guess it. If you can't get that, I'll read the description of said film, replacing names if necessary, and you'll try to guess it from there. Um, you will tell me what the film is and the director. Okay. All right. If you feel All like right. you, if you feel like you I'm know it, try this out. if you feel like you know it, just say your name out loud and then the answer. Name out loud. Okay. So here's the first one. These taglines, some of these are terrible. I'm gonna say that right now. <laughs> but they were flops, so there you go. Um, okay. The American dream has a price. Hmm. The American dream has a price. Uh, I Abe. feel like I know this, Abe? but I don't. Suburbicon? It is not Suburbicon, although that's good. <laughs> I was like, maybe maybe you're trying to trick us before just doing the movie that we just reviewed. I'll say right now, none of them are Suburbicon. Okay, thank Here, you. I'll read, the, I'll read the description. 
A group of Boston-bred gangsters set up shop in a balmy Florida during Prohibition era, facing off against the competition and the Ku Klux Klan. What? Um, Abe. Abe? Uh, uh... Uh, it's, uh, it's, I know this one. What, who's the director? I know it. Too. I ben actually Affleck. know it. Ben Affleck is the director. Yep, yep. It's, uh, I, <laughs> you're going to get the steal here, but before, before midnight? Scott, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Yep. Live by night. Live by yeah. night is the correct answer. <laughs> Live by night. All right. Before midnight. <sighs> yeah, that's a Richard Linklater movie. <laughs> yeah. No comparison at all. <laughs> Here's the next one. The tagline, the year is 2013, one man walked in off the horizon, and hope came with him. Uh, Abe. Abe? Postman? The Postman is correct. Who's the director? Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner, yes. (laughs) That's good. I was surprised. I was not, I would not have got that one myself. (laughs) Thank you, bad movies from the 90s that I wanted to see. Here's the next one. This one doesn't have a tagline. I have to just write the, I have to read the 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 description. description? Yeah. I'm going to change a name, or I'm not going to say a name. The unconventional love story of an aspiring actress, her determined driver, and their boss, an eccentric billionaire. Hmm. Um, can you repeat that very quickly? The unconventional love story of an aspiring actress, her determined driver, and their boss, an eccentric oh, billionaire. Oh, I know this, I know this, I know this. Movie. this I just I know don't know Scott, the title. Scott, Scott. Scott. Yep. Um, Warm Beatty. Uh, rules don't apply. That is correct. Yeah, see, I was like, it's the one with uh, Alden Einrich. Yo, Solo. <laughs> that freaking guy. <laughs> Here's the next one. Here's the tagline. Long time no Z. <laughs> no Z? Long time no Z. World War Z was not directed by Brad Pitt. <laughs> Um, hmm. I love if that was the title after World War Z. <laughs> <laughs> this summer, zombies well, invade. Oh, I know, I know this. Yeah. Ben Stiller, uh, but Ben Stiller, Zoolander two. That is correct. Uh, all right. I think you're ahead of the script. The description starts with Derek and Hansel, so it would have been pretty good. <laughs> all right, here's the next one. Here's the tagline: Trust no one. Oh. oh. I, I can see that being very vague. At the same time, I remember this being laid out on all of the character posters for this movie. So, like I know this, Abe. Abe. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. In, no, there were no there were no character posters for Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I don't know. It's not X Files, is it? It's not X Files. I'm going to read the description. A young covert CIA analyst uncovers a Russian plot to crash the U.S. economy with a terrorist attack. What? A young covert CIA analyst yeah. uncovers a Russian plot to crash the U.S. economy. I mean, did he direct that? Did who direct that? Abe? Yes. Uh, ben Affleck, the sum of all fears? Incorrect, okay. but on the right track. Damn it. God, I have no idea. The answer is Kenneth Branagh, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. Ugh. Oh, I can yeah. see it. Abe, you were there. I thought you almost yeah, had it. Like, the CIA analyst part I got, but I was like, wait a minute. I mean, who? I was like, yeah, Kenneth Branagh is a leading actor. Yeah. He, I mean, he's in the movie. <laughs> like, he is. He plays the Russian mob boss with a terrible accent. Here's the next one. Here's the tagline. Touched by death, changed by life. 
Um, I'm also the one person I know that likes this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know, that's another clue. Touched by death, changed by life. Mm. Um, is this, this is a Matt Damon movie, isn't it? It is a Matt Damon movie. Oh, no. Um, I read the description. Hereafter, hereafter. Hereafter, directed by... Oh, fuck. Um, sorry. <laughs> mm, it's not Matt Damon, is it? Nope. He, he, this is, he, Matt Damon was in another film from this director where he was nominated for an Academy Award. What? I don't know, but we should just... I know, I'm playing this, I'm playing this honestly, too. I'm I, like, we're like, we're, everyone's on Skype, we could just look it up, but I'm like, no. Yeah. Well, Scott, no. you got here after, so you get the point. But it's Clint Eastwood. It was a Clint Eastwood movie. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Who's that? Who's that co-starring? Uh, Jay Moore's in it as his brother. Um, Cecil de France is the um, the French woman involved in the film. Okay. And Richard right. Kind. Richard Kind is in there. Yep. Yeah. I do love Richard Kind. George Clooney's best friend. Um, <laughs> true. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's his be- they're best friends. <laughs> They're like roommates, and they're still best friends. Um, here's the next one. Experience the true encounter that inspired the myth, this book, that I'm not going to name out loud. <laughs> Wait, can you, can you repeat that again? I, I realized that I was like, that would give it away right yeah, away. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that sounds ridiculous. Experience but... the true encounter that inspired the myth, blank, blank. Experience the true encounter... That inspired uh, Abe? Yeah. George Clooney Monuments Men? In, no, there's no George Clooney here, okay? Stop guessing George Clooney. <laughs> I was like, you know... They... Oh, oh, I know this. This is that terrible movie. Um, These are all flops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's the Ron Howard movie. Uh-huh. Uh, the sea. Oh! Uh, the, the, in, in, in sea, in the heart. Oh, in the heart of sea. In the heart, in the of, the heart sea. of the sea, yeah, you, you yeah. piece that together. You got. It. I was like, you know, there's an article missing from Scott's answer, but I'll accept it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's the next one. Here's the here's the uh, Moby Dick. Here's the yeah Moby Dick is what I wasn't saying. Here's the, ta- here's the tagline. Some things can't be learned; they must be remembered. That's a terrible mm-hmm. tagline. Remembered. No. No, I'm just <laughs> Some things can't. Be learned, they must be remembered. Terrible flop from an actor turned director. Here's the, here's the description A down and out golfer attempts to recover his game and his life with help from a mystical caddy. Abe? Abe? Matt Damon? Uh, the Legend of Bagger Vance? There's a surprisingly number number of Matt Damon films I didn't realize I was doing this, by the way. But, um, well, The Legend of Bagger Vance is the movie, but who's the director? <laughs> Will Smith? Uh, uh, no, Will Smith. No. Is the <laughs> I want to say, uh, I don't know. Actually, uh, Clint Eastwood. It's he hosts, Clint. I'll say this: He hosts a famous film festival. Uh, Robert Redford. Robert Redford's Robert correct. Redford? Yeah. Wait, which one's which one's Redford's? Sundance. Sundance. He's, he's the Sundance okay. kid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Here's, right. the, here's the next one. First contact, last stand. First contact, last stand. You really got to think about the the combining of those two phrases. What type of movies would have a first contact and the last stand? 
with an actor director that, that oh was... i know what this is this is um that john favreau movie uh-huh uh aliens and cowboys <laughs> cowboys and aliens cowboys and aliens <laughs> is correct that was a good one scott you nailed that uh, i'm like i'm literally thinking of it i'm like uh what was that crap <laughs> let me see i'm pretty sure scott won this there's one more but i mean it's not gonna make a difference i think that scott is ahead by two right now yeah scott's got yeah yeah scott's winning this but here's the last one okay dance to your own beat uh <laughs> dance to your own beat mm-hmm. um hmm. here's the description it's five years later and this guy's blank is still burning now he's strutting toward his biggest challenge yet, succeeding as a dancer on the Broadway stage. Uh, Norm of the North. The- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either, actually. I'm going to say this. It's five years later, and Tony Monero's Saturday Night Fever is still burning. Mm-hmm. Staying alive to Electric Boogaloo. It's just staying alive. <laughs> Who's the Get director? Play. Of staying uh, uh, John Travolta. John Travolta. It is Sylvester Stallone was the director. Oh, oh really? Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, Scott, you won that game. Congratulations, Scott. What do I get? Cookies? <laughs> Next time you see Aaron, you guys, you, he'll give you a pat on the back. There you oh, go. how nice. I'll just stand on a stool first. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, I had a bonus question here just in case, too. What's George Clooney's biggest film box office-wise? Box office-wise? Like actor or director? Dur- director. Ides uh, of March. Uh, I want to say, uh, good night, good luck. Actually, probably is Ides of March. It's, but I'll mon- say good, good it's monuments, man. No it way, is? really. Seventy-eight domestic, eighty-seven worldwide. I mean, wow. a lot of people in that movie: Bill Murray, Matt Damon. It's his widest release, ben. so that probably didn't hurt. The either. guy who won the Academy Award for yeah, Jean Dujardin. Artist. Yeah, yeah. His biggest movie uh, as an actor is Gravity. Yeah, well, I mean... Then, then Ocean's Eleven. So. Mm. Okay, all right. Worldwide, um, it is still Gravity, <laughs> and then Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> um, inflation, though, perfect storm. I mean, everyone loves that Mark Wahlberg. Especially No, not really. Um, yeah. <laughs> <so> <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on. Let's get to... Let's start wrapping things up here. Let's get to Adnapers and Tools Out Now. These movies that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week. Uh, first up, The Dark Tower. Yes. Uh, best movie of the year. <laughs> <laughs> If Scott says it, it's got to be true. That's true. That was certainly a movie that gave me a shrug. Yes, uh, that movie was very womp womp. Yeah, because like it's not even like, wow, this is really bad. It's so funny that it's it's just like, oh, that exists. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They made that. Yeah. Um, Kidnap with Halle Berry. I've heard that it's good. It's surprisingly good. It is. I agree. It was like it's a fun like eighty minute jaunt. (laughs) Yeah. It's stupid, but it's so fun. Yeah. Um, A couple releases from Shout Factor this week uh, re-releases A Castle in the Sky and Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. uh, See both of them. Yeah, the Miyazaki films. Miyazaki, yeah. Yeah, uh, Studio Ghibli's teamed up with Shout Factor. They're doing a lot of re-releases of his movies. And these are the latest. On Scream Factory this week, Dawn of the Dead, the 2004 Zack Snyder-directed remake, and Land of the Dead, George A. Romero's uh, Land of the Dead. Both really good. Both of them I heard are good. Uh, they're very good, and I'm very much looking forward to having those and watching them very soon. Uh, 
Let's see. Also, speaking of, there's lots of horror releases this week for obvious reasons. Happy Halloween, everybody. Um, Slaughter High is out this week. A cult uh, horror film from the 80s. Okay. Um, let's see. Hellraiser Steelbook Edition from Arrow. I mean, it's a Steelbook Edition. Right? Arrow puts out some pretty elaborate Blu-ray releases, so I wanted to mention that. Yeah. Let's see. Orphan Black, the complete series, is now on Blu-ray. Um, and uh, Scarecrow from Warner Archive this week. This is a film of Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino. Um, I think it's like a road movie. Um, but yeah, I wanted to mention that. A buddy, a buddy cop road movie? Uh, it's not even cops. I think it was just drifters. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> is it is it Dustin Hoffman or is it Al, is it Hackman? Well, now i got to look this up. Now now we've got to stall. It might be Hackman. I, I'm, I'm trying to think Gene of Gene Hackman? Uh, National Treasure Gene Hackman? What? He's not a National Treasure. It is Gene Hackman. <laughs> it's Gene Hackman and Al Pacino. <laughs> What's the one with Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino? That's another one, too. I'm trying to think. Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino? Yeah, they have a mm. movie from the 70s also, around the same time that has also like a very kind of... Dog Day Afternoon Part 2. Random title. Yeah, that's what it is. Dog Day Afternoon Part 2. That's going to bug me. Now I'm going to keep thinking of it. Uh, Kramer vs. Kramer Part 2. Kramer from, from the 70s, right? Still Kramer. <laughs> Still making terrible omelets. <laughs> um, Lenny? Papillion? Alfredo Alfredo? Agatha? <laughs> well, there's Dick Tracy, which does have both of them together. I'm trying to think of the other one, though. Wait, Al Pacino, or Dustin Hoffman's in, in, in Dick Tracy? He's Mumbles, yes. Well, I'm thinking of, um, I'm thinking of, who from Roger Rabbit, I'm sorry. Which is... <laughs> Bob <yeah>. Hoskins? <laughs> no, we're just, we're crossing the streams here. Um, Agatha. Wait, did we just do a search for Dustin Hoffman and... Uh, who's the other guy? Gene Hackman? And Dustin Hoffman. That's in Al Pacino. That's what I was trying to think. Oh, Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino. Okay. This is going to bug me now. <laughs> I'm really, on, I'm really not like, dedicated to looking this up. Because it's, it's not even like a movie that matters. <laughs> it's like, now it's just going to bother you. It's got to be Dick Tracy. No, there's another one, though, because they like they got back together. Lag the Dog? No, no, that's Robert De Niro. No, that was, a, that was a great one, though. That's a great movie. Yeah. That is a good movie. Also good primary colors around the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know which movie you're thinking of. Well, because it's it's not like it's not known for much, but it's like <laughs> it's this movie that they did together. I'm trying to think of what it was. Uh, what movie is there? Let me see. I don't know. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to get back to you on that on this one. Maybe I the internet doesn't tell me. I mean, maybe maybe you're not. Maybe they're not in a movie that's that's great together. There is a movie. It might have even been like a TV movie, but there is a movie. Maybe it's a TV movie. Then anyway, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, Rockadoodle's on Blu-ray this week, guys. Rockadoodle, so there. Rockadoodle, that, that is movie. that really is that really on Blu-ray? Mm-hmm. Rockadoodle, it's making its Blu-ray debut. I like wow. the I like the, the box cover for that movie. It's a movie I haven't seen in a long ages. Time ago. Don't watch it; you'll probably hate it. <laughs> like Hocus Pocus, everyone talks about that movie, and it's like, wow, I just revisited it. It's terrible. First of all, it's just like a pl- running twenty four seven on on TBS or like uh, Disney Family, right? Freeform, yeah. Freeform, yeah. It does not hold up well. You know, Aaron's so. actually thinking of the movie that Dustin Hoffman Al Pacino is still in. I am. That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> Dick Tracy. We're gonna we're gonna say Dick Tracy. Yeah, it's Dick Tracy. All right. Uh, it's the first thing that comes up when I type in Dustin Hoffman Al Pacino movie. Because it's Dick the more Tracy. notable one. As I'm saying, it's not something that matters. <laughs> <laughs> Um, then it's right. got it's got to be it's got to be uh, some TV movie, or if if a listener knows, write to us. 
Next up, extremely cool. These are things that are now on Netflix that I could recommend in some way. Uh, first up, Stranger Things Season 2, obviously. It's the big Netflix release this week, and I'm sure everybody has been watching it in some form or another. Um, I haven't mentioned it yet because I know Abe and Anna and I will be talking about it at some point very soon. Um, what else? Um, in the spirit of the season, uh, two films from the opposite sides. First up, Casper. It's on Netflix. We just talked about that. We did. We talked about it in our children's horror episode. Casper. Yeah. Also, Oculus, which I'm a big fan of, the Mike Flanagan film with the killer. Also, mirror. having kids with with horror. Yeah, it does. It does involve children. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but no, two good movies. Uh, let's see what else here. Next week's show. Next week we'll be talking Thor: Colon Ragnarok. All right. Yep, Thor's coming. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'll be very excited to talk about it Thor. Sure is. It's it's, <laughs> it's been a few weeks, so I've seen so I've seen Thor, so it's like, but I am very excited to talk about Thor. You should just go watch it again, just to refresh. Oh, it'll be watched again. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. All right. Last thing we do here: What should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next, Scott Menzel? What should people see in theaters right now? Ooh. There's a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna go for Professor Marsden and the Wonder Woman. Oh, that's already out. Mm-hmm. Of course right. it is, and no promotion whatsoever. Good yeah, job. I've seen like two trailers in theaters, and then the rest of it I just watched uh, online. And what was the other question? What Sorry. Are you, what are you seeing next? Uh, do, 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 do. what am I seeing? I'm seeing so. Oh, Bad Mom's Christmas tomorrow. All right. <laughs> Abe, what should people see in theaters right now? Uh, Tyler Perry's Boo 2 Medea Halloween and uh, yes. Geostorm as well. No, I, I if you haven't seen Blade Runner, go see Blade Runner. It's going to be two hours and 45 minutes of your life. But hey, it's going to be you'll a never good get back. Oh, how oh. dare you? You leave. <laughs> no, I, 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 I did like it. I did like it. But I'm just saying it's too long. <laughs> it's a little long, but it, I think it's worth it. I think there's some really interesting questions that we talked about on, on our review of it. Um, seeing next Thor Ragnarok, Thor colon Ragnarok. I'm sorry. Um, I would say if you can find Killing of a Sacred Deer, see that. Mm-hmm. If, you can mm-hmm. find, okay. if you can find Wonderstruck, see that. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's already and, out too? Yeah. Yep. And it's, uh. it's both of them are spreading more theaters. So okay, know. good. If you can find those, see those. And, you know, if there's you know horror movies you're looking forward to watching, watch them. Watch them this week. Good time for it. Uh, the next thing I'm seeing is Downsizing, actually. The other Matt Damon oh, movie. Matt Damon. <laughs> from Paramount yeah. this week. So. You think he's going to try and, uh, you know, destroy everything in his suburban lifestyle in, in downsizing? No, yeah, well, at least make it smaller. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that Alexander Payne. Well, we'll see what happens. And yeah. um, with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. You can find all my movie reviews over there. You can also find me now writing over at We Live Entertainment um, along with Scott Menzel. You can, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? Find more fun stuff over at Oakley Doakley on Instagram and Twitter.com slash Walrus Moose. Hashtag Matt Damon eats a sandwich. <laughs> and I am over at We Live Entertainment. You can follow me on Twitter, We Live Network, also on Facebook and Twitter at the same We Live Network. Thank you. You can, of course, find all the other episodes of our podcast over on iTunes as well as on Audio Boom. We'll send us over our SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWLOD. And feel free to email us uh, your thoughts on anything we talked about this week over at outnotpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can write us on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash outnotpodcast, or tweet us at twitter.com slash podcast. And this is, of course, the month that you need to do send Abe clowns over at outnotpodcast.tumblr.com. No, Chris, stop doing that. So, uh, send Abe clowns. It is a thing <laughs> that should happen over at our Tumblr page <laughs> and anywhere else. Uh, Scott, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Scott.
No problem. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, we see um, whether or not Thor gets his hammer back. That's going to do it. So till next time, so long. And goodbye. This is why we play No Everybody, because of these details. People are going to talk exactly. about the, the, the dry lettuce versus like wet lettuce and for days to come after hearing this episode. Probably probably more like months, I'd say. <laughs> it's, it's that good. <laughs> yeah.